0: This podcast is brought to you by the Albany Public Library main branch and the generosity of listeners like
1: you. What is a podcast? God, Daddy, these people talk as much as you do. (laughs)
0: Razeeb Khan's Unsupervised Learning You know that genetics plays a huge role in our health, and more people are using genetic testing to determine risk for diseases like cancer for themselves and their kids than ever before. So I want to tell you about Orchid. It's the only company that does whole genome testing for embryos, testing before your child is born. If you're doing IVF, this is a clear choice now, because now you can reduce risk for thousands of single gene disorders, including heritable forms of autism, pediatric cancers, and birth defects. Check them out at orchidhealth.com. Hey, everybody. This is Razib with the Unsupervised Learning Substack and podcast, and today I am here with Katherine Bodsky of Catherine Writes at the Random Mind Substack. Now, those of you who have been listening for a while probably uh, you know remember her from well, it's been a little over a year. Um, I feel like we were talking about this before uh, she got on. It's just like time and all the things that have happened. I feel um, I think most of you will probably agree with me. There's been a lot of history that has happened in the 2020s in these three years in a way. And a lot of it has also been really weird because during the pandemic, a lot was happening, but it was also like time was frozen. Um, You know, a lot of us were not going to the office. A lot of us were not doing things that we would do, like meeting with relatives during Thanksgiving. And so I think it's caused um, like a weird sense of this decade, because it is three years now. We're almost in 2024, uh, you know, of like what has happened, like, it's kind of like all mushed together in a goulash maybe, which, uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's a reference to something we might talk about later. Uh, (laughs) but you know, so, um, I just, you know, but, and most of the time, you know, I I try to talk about things that aren't super relevant to the news, um, you know, make it evergreen, but uh, we are going to be talking about a little newsy stuff, but I have to say, it's not one of those things that's going to come and go. So, you know, um, we talked about OpenAI and Sam Altman and stuff like that. Okay, that's six months from now. That's a historical artifact. Um, I don't think what we're going to talk about is is unfortunately going to be a, a historical artifact six months from now. Uh, some of this not. is, good, yeah, some of this is still going to be live uh, in terms of stuff that's happening. Uh, so, um, like, I know some of you say that I should let the people talk earlier, but I'm going to set this up a little bit. Um, I do read the comments and I do read the feedback, and I don't care all the time. In fact, I don't care most of the time. I'm not gonna lie, it's a nice to be <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm very, like you know on the big five, I'm very disagreeable. Uh, but in any case, um, the way I want to set this up is so as we're recording, it has been not quite two months, but almost two months since ten seven, and I feel uh, in America at least ten seven is kind of like nine eleven. Um, I think there's something in Britain that happened in 2005. I don't remember the date. I'm sorry, British people, uh, with the subway bombings, you know. Uh, but, you know, these dates are kind of in your head. And America and Israel, um, you know, we're connected countries in a lot of ways. A lot of Israelis are American. They're dual citizenship uh, because, you know, Aliyah and the migration. And since 67 um, and, you know, the last, you know, this is from like four decades, America and Israel have had a pretty close relationship. Uh, American elites, Israeli elites, uh, the current prime minister Bibi Netanyahu, who's been the prime minister for most of the last twenty-five years, uh, he has a mostly American accent that he obtained, uh, you know, when he was a uh, a student at MIT. These, you know, we're closely connected countries. People in other parts of the world, especially what they now call the global south, uh, are not the same. Um, do not have the same perception, uh, large immigrant communities in the West do not have the same perception. So it's it's interesting, because you get different viewpoints in terms of who you empathize with and who you identify with. Uh, so from an American perspective, and because I'm, I'm saying this from an American perspective, because other people did not understand this, uh, the stuff that was coming out of 10-7, what happened to Israelis, uh, Israeli civilians, Israeli children, uh, what happened to them, the things that happened. And I mean, I'm not going to like, You could look it up. Okay. Uh, Maybe we'll talk about it in detail. I mean, you know, Catherine can talk about it if she wants to, but uh, it was like stuff that, uh, I mean, I'm laughing. I'm not laughing because it's funny. It was just stuff that you would uh, be taught about about the Holocaust, right? And so there was a real um, strong emotional reaction to that. And then there was the bombing of Gaza. And, you know, they keep saying X thousands of children have died. Well, I mean, that makes sense because half of people in Gaza are children. The average age is eighteen the median age is eighteen so by definition right and so you're having uh you know these atrocities uh that are very uh they're kind of reminiscent of kind of the worst more personalized aspects of the holocaust so obviously there was the industrial uh you know extermination in the camps so what I said was um, a lot of the stuff that Hamas did the fighters did uh, reminded me of stuff that I would read about the ISIS group and uh, the ss units on the Eastern Front in particular and they would go out into the country and they would hunt Jewish families, you know? And so that's what it, that's what it reminded me of. So there's a lot of emotional reactions to that. Um, you know, a lot of discussions about anti-Semitism. What is is anti-Semitism? I think some of the reactions were a little overwrought, but I understand why they were in the context. And now it's been a couple of months um, and we're still having a lot of the same discussions and same debates. There hasn't been like a great resolution. You know, I have friends who are much more anti-Israel, I would say, or much more pro-Palestinian, Uh, Than I am, although, um, you know, not like incredibly so. And so, um, you know, we've had some discussions and had different perspectives, and it's really complicated. And I don't think, you know, we're not going to solve that on this podcast. And there's no way that it's going to be solved on the Twitter slash X site. Um, This is going to be a multi generational uh, discourse and discussion. But I want to get Catherine's perspective because, uh, you know, I'm just going to put it out there. She is Jewish. um, And, uh, you know, uh, she has had some experiences. And I think what, you know, I'm not um, totally a person that your lived experience, which like, okay, what experience is not lived, but whatever, uh, trumps everything. And that should be, um, you know, that should be the most important thing. But, but um, when someone says something and you can just refute it by what you yourself have experienced, and I, you know, I've done this before too. I'm just like, I don't really care what you say. Like, I've experienced it. So I don't really care that you say that it doesn't happen. It happened because it happened to me. Right. And so that's why sometimes it's important to talk to people. Um, and so that's why I want to talk to her. Um, and, you know, we're not going to just talk about the Israel stuff today, but uh, I, I want to start out with, you know, that and also being Jewish, Jewish in the West, uh, which that's a weird thing to say now, but I guess we got to say it now. Um, you know, it's, it's a weird position, you know, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, I've been talking for a while, Catherine. Um, if you want to, if you want to, you know, introduce yourself again or whatever, go ahead. But really, um, you've been in Hungary for a while. You came back to North America. Uh, and you know, I think you traveled in various places in Europe as well. Uh, tell me what you experienced. Tell me how you're feeling. And I don't usually do tell me how you're feeling, but you know, (laughs) um, you know, you have some interesting perspective from my perspective. So that's why I'm curious.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, 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 do think where the relevancy is, is that it is a bit different because in in my situation, I was born in what is now Ukraine and hopefully will stay Ukraine. Um, and then my family had basically, you know, ran, (laughs) escaped to, uh, Israel. So I actually had lived in Israel and I lived there during the Gulf war. So, um, you know, having had that experience as a child of having to wear a gas masks and rockets, you know, exploding near me and, and kind of growing up with terrorist attacks all the time, like you were always hearing about it. Um, I do think it lends a perspective. And I think in particular, understanding also the human aspect of what it's like to live there, seeing for example, things like that people I don't think understand, like diversity of, of different kinds of people, right? People, there's been this narrative that, you know, everyone in Israel is white, but, you know, 20% of the population is Arab, then there's other groups. And and then amongst Jews, uh, you know, there's so many more Mizrahi Jews, I think uh, Ashkenazi Jews, which are the European ones, make up, uh, like 30%. So it's, it's not even a majority. So I think it's important to kind of contextualize it. And I have to say, I mean, some things I knew, some things I took a lot of time to learn and listen to, including like the Palestinian perspective. And over the years, I've also talked to Palestinians. So like, you know, I think it's important to be sort of aware of the situation, but when I heard about, you know, when October 7th happened, I will say it was just absolutely jarring. And I was so glued and I was so deeply affected by it, as I'm sure as many and and being somebody who is jewish you know you're much more likely to know people who were directly affected by it so when people go on the internet and and talk about how you know this is fake this is israeli propaganda i do think there is um a different outlook there because you know you know the people whose family members have been killed and you know that they've been killed in the most horrific ways and that wasn't israel who did it and um And also I think the other part of it is like you may, you know, I think there's a lot of political issues in Israel. There's political issues when it comes to, you know, Gaza and and the West Bank. But ultimately, I think growing up they I realized like the Israeli perspective. And and I think there's a tendency to sort of for people who are not familiar who are just hearing about it, they're like, Well, they're killing, they want vengeance. They just want to kill people in Gaza. And, um, knowing the people there, I know that to be absolutely not true. Even the government that I might not be like perfectly happy with myself, um, like the Netanyahu government, um, it's just, it's just very different to, to, to know that it isn't true. And and knowing that I grew up with, um, the narrative being that we need to live in peace, two state solution, uh, you know uh, robin was the president prime minister at the time and what we were taught in schools you know and the contrast of that so with me like we were we would draw doves for peace and we were to- taught to sort of love other people and 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 hope for peace so that context i think is really important and that's context that is missing
0: yeah so you know People, this is just so cliche, but um, you have to humanize people, you know. Um, and you know, I don't. Uh, you know, one of my best friends from high school, his uh, his father's Palestine. Well, his father's Israeli Arab. Um, I think they call themselves Palestinians now. He calls himself a Palestinian. They're from Nazareth. His mother's white American, and so I, I, you know, I knew some of that perspective. And it's it's difficult, also. And I don't know what you think. It's like the polarization. Is and as a you know as a person who's not uh, I I guess I'm not party to either side is what I would say uh, I don't really identify strongly with either side I know a lot more Jews and I actually know a fair amount of Israelis because I work in tech um, so. Uh, that's one particular thing, um, you know, tech in particular is a lot of Israelis come to the United States and they work here for a while and then they yeah. go back to Israel, which is why it's got a big tech sector. But yeah, I knew I know people in tech who were directly affected by the kidnappings and murders in the kibbutz like immediately, you know, and I think a lot of people who work in the tech sector know that too. So we have an immediate personal connection, less so, um, you know, with the Palestinians. If you're Muslim, American, if you're Arab American, obviously you have a closer personal connection. And so that's a different perspective. And it's difficult, um, I think, to parse everything. I mean, you know, one thing I guess I would say is, you know, they say Israel, Israel is a apartheid state. And then, um, you know, the, the response is, well, it's the only democracy in the Middle East. Well, let's set aside Iraq now. But, um, you know. I think,
1: uh, well, like, I, I obviously disagree <laughs> with that characterization. But I, I, I understand why people make that statement. The, I think the reason being, basically, there's it's sort of unsettled, right? So Gaza and the West Bank and and Israel does have a presence, uh, at least in the West Bank, not in Gaza for quite a few years. But there are certain things that Israel controls, and it controls it because of uh, security um, aspects. So however, I think in most Israeli minds, like you don't, you don't think of these regions as being part of Israel. So within Israel, you know it's a full-on democracy. Arabs enjoy the exact same uh, rights and freedoms as um, as people in Palestine. So or Palestinians. So to so see it, even in my mind, I kind of think of these as separate entities, and that's why people don't I really see. see it as in that context.
0: Well I mean some people they see it they think of it as one entity from the river to the sea so there is
1: that too which is very here's the problem with that is this even if you say okay there were these injustices which you know I think it's a much more you know when people talk about the Mik- Mikbah, um I you know I've looked into it um you know the the israeli perspective would be that uh well historically what had happened they were they were fighting arabs were attacking and uh and when and at certain point when they were attacked in ni- uh yeah in 1948 uh israel was attacked um it Basically, the Arab leaders at the time, they said, look, they told the Palestinians, look, leave and we will um, we will sort of win this fight and uh, you'll be able to come back. It would be easier for us to fight if you're not there. And, you know, Israel won and therefore and then people did lose their homes because they weren't able to come back. Now, I'm sure there were like lots of things that went wrong both. The Palestinian side, and I do call them Palestinians because I understand that they historically might be Arabs, but they've lived on that land. That's kind of their identity, and identities form over different periods of time. So I don't mind doing that. Um, but I think what happened was there is this sort of—I I think there was a lot of bad actions, and um, at the time, and and I would say, you know, very likely on both sides. Uh, of this. And so. But, but i think the stories that were later told like regardless of what the origin is i think we have to deal today with the reality today and i think we don't have peace at the expense of that because i'd be very willing to sort of negotiate and i want people in um just because i support israel doesn't mean i don't support palestinians you know and i want them to have a good life i don't want to see people being killed and i do think there's some things that are unfair about their treatment however if you keep holding on to grievances from the past, whether they're justified or not, you can't move on and build a better future, which is ideally what we want for everyone.
0: Yeah, that, that's fair. Um, you know, I, I I don't talk about it on this podcast, but um, I, I did guest on another podcast where I was asked about uh, you know Ashkenazi Jewish genetics, and and I asked you about here. it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and people people are always asking me, and I'm like, that's fine, but like. Nobody really cares. Like it could turn out that the Palestinians are Chinese, would have zero effect. I mean, like you know, if you found out something super weird, I don't think it would have any effect. And so I'm just like, uh. Well, mean, I, I'll talk in about conversation it.
1: Conversation because uh, everyone's trying to make it like, okay, who's been there longer? Well, you know what it is it, it, Jews have been there longer, but does that m- matter necessarily? I'm not sure, actually, that it does, um, because ultimately, like I said, we have to live with the reality of today. The only reason that I would bring that up, or, or is because it becomes a, a matter of conversation. Sure, but people have changed; it has changed hands over long periods of times. And and yes, there were certainly lots of Jews there back in the day, many years ago, and then Jews living there throughout. But there were also Palestinians or or Arabs or whoever you want to, however you. want to define it
0: yeah i mean history is history is interesting and complicated i mean honestly there's a lot of stuff in the first half of the 20th century that's it is interesting i'm not sure how relevant it is anymore so for example and you can correct me or disagree i i can understand um the the critique that israel uh and zion because the ashkenazis are 30 percent today, uh, but it's a very different state than it was in the 1940s, when there was a mass influx, for various reasons, uh, of Ashkenazi Jews into Israel, and these Jews are European Jews, uh, you know, Yiddish, or, you know, culturally, mostly, I mean, some of them were English speaking as well, whatever, you know, but European Jews, European people, and yes, in Europe, they might have been seen as alien and the other, but they did view themselves as part of Western European civilization. Um, and they brought socialism uh, they were leftist many of them were influenced by marxism and as you as you know um, israel was initially uh you know kind of supported by the soviet union to some extent so you know the history is a little bit more complicated but what's the point i mean i guess what i would say is we live in the now um i think it's it is relevant to us you know what happened at the you know at the the summits in the early 2000s and with Rabin in the 90s I mean I was alive then you were alive then we remember that these are things that are happening in the now and similarly with the palestinians I do want to ask you one question and then I want to move from israel to you know just being jewish in europe and north america now uh, but um one thing that I would say is you know within israel um let's just set aside you know, the West Bank, um and the indignities that Palestinians have to suffer because of the security state. Whether it's justified or not, we don't need to get into that. Fair enough, yeah. Uh in Israel itself, I think it is true from everything I've heard that um, you know, legally uh Arabs have the same rights, equality before the law, but uh socially and culturally, uh they do suffer uh discrimination. Um and they do have to deal with, you know, There are people in Israeli life and Israeli society that express levels of extreme chauvinism uh, and ethnocentrism that are not typical or that are taboo in most Western countries, not in Arab countries, but in Western countries. Yes,
1: I will say, though, uh, uh, the key word here is how typical they are and how how majority of people treat it and also how the government treats it. I think those are very important things. So no doubt there is there's. Nasty people. Right. I mean, every group of people is going to have their own bigoted people, jerks, all that kind of stuff. There's no reason why Jews or Israelis shouldn't be an exception, uh, should be an exception to that. Um, So and I've talked to Palestinians who live in Israel who, you know, have shared their stories with me and i completely believe them and i have great empathy so it's it's like we've had racism in in here you know in the us in canada everywhere there is racism so that exists and and there are, there are people who accept them as well with with zero reservation it's 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 very important to look at it's like every time um i would see videos being presented of some a horrible racist tirade right or some or somebody saying let's level gaza um so and then other people will present videos on the palestinian side and i think what's important is like okay how much of that is reflective of the overall society and i would say and look i i will say i haven't lived in israel for a long time so there i do have blind spots in that area i have visited quite recently um I would say the vast majority of people do not hold radical views when it comes to uh, Palestinians or Arabs, but obviously some do, and that's a problem. It's the same thing with um, there, uh, what I've learned is that there are some really religious I will call them extremists who attack, for example, Christians. And that is all of that behavior is completely abhorrent and unacceptable. But I also don't think that it reflects the vast majority of the population. And the laws also have to reflect, uh, you know, equal rights, which the laws do, whereas laws in other countries in the Middle East do not. And I think that's an incredibly important distinction.
0: Yeah. Um, You know, from what I know, I I do think it's interesting. It's interesting. I mean, I'm using that word too much, but it's uh, a lot of
1: interesting things. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, well, I mean, um, Israel has, uh, you know, really, in a way, the most prosperous, free Arab. I mean, I'm going to get in trouble. Some people are going to get angry. (laughs) Community in the Middle East. Right. Probably does. Okay. Ah, uh, but I also think socially, to some extent, they're second class citizens in terms of they're not. Israel is the homeland of the Jewish people, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and that's a little weird uh, to say anymore. Even though I don't know, the Netherlands, you know, all, like the Denmark. Denmark is the nation of the Danes, you know. But no, this is like not explicitly stated anymore. you know. I
1: think that's the thing. I think that's the way people look at it. And I think there's a lot of c- confusion and we'll get into that because it's an ethno-religion. So people sort of look at when they hear Jewish, they think of it as a religion often as opposed to an ethnicity, whereas I am somebody who's not religious. So for me, it's completely an ethnicity. It doesn't matter whether I believe in God or not. I'm going to st- still be Jewish when I wake up tomorrow, right? Um, and I think what happens there is that um so one thing I did because like a lot of people have brought up the law of return as something that's you know you can say it's racist um but when I started looking into it, and, and I myself was surprised because because part of me did think maybe that is true. And when I started looking into countries with similar policies, you know, uh, for immigration, so it's essentially it's an ancestry based immigration policy. I think you have to really look at it that way, and um, and it's not actually unique in the world because you have that in England, in Britain, you have that in Australia, you have that in the U.S., you have it in a lot of places across the world world.
0: In Germ- Germany.
1: Germany. Yeah. So it's actually not unique. And I was actually surprised to learn that myself once I looked at it. But I think the way it's presented, because it's presented as being this special thing for uh, Jews. And again, people kind of conflate being Jewish with just religion, which there's a very small percentage of non-ethnic Jews who've been converted, who converted to Judaism. And also the idea of ethno-religion is in unique to Jews either. So I think it's really important to sort of uh, contextualize these things. And I think a lot of times people don't. And and, and like I said, I myself was missing that information.
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> a lot of these things are also like on X or on Twitter, whatever you want to call it. They're They're blasted out as like, you know, like a three sentence tweet without context. And I kind of want to, like, a lot of times I just like I want, I want to respond. And then I'm like, no, I'm not going to, no, this is not, See, gonna, this you is, know what I'm saying? Oh, it's, <laughs> I
1: definitely know what you're saying. And I've been way too uh, brought in, but I, I really struggle with this because I'm, I'm very much like if somebody presents me with a fact, uh, regardless of, of whether it supports my, my, you know, obviously I do have a bias towards Israel, um, but you know, uh, but somebody presents a particular fact, I'll, I'll sort of consider it. And I'll, and I'll say, you know, that you've got a valid point. But I think the problem is people aren't often going off of accurate information. And in particular, in platforms like X, but any social media, TikTok, anywhere, you're basically, you know, people are ripping off, they'll take a headline, um, they'll, they'll put their own kind of, phrasing on it that, that completely di- uh, puts it into a completely different context if they're using a video or an image. Um, there's a lot of cases where, um, you know, they'll use an image or video from Syria and uh, say that it's in Gaza. There's a lot of AI generated imagery, which, by the way, I thought about this. I'm like, look, obviously, this is war. Like we said, Kids are going to be dying, right? Um, other people are going to be dying in Gaza. Whether you know you, you think it's justified, or not you can't deny that there are people, there are deaths, civilian deaths of innocent people. But when you, um, so why even create? go through the trouble of creating an AI AI generated image and I thought about it and I'm like okay well clearly it 's about that image has a narrative attached to it that goes simply that goes beyond like you know heroic father that 's carrying his children or the little boy right you know with a Palestinian flag shirt and his dead mother next to him and he has his six fingers up uh, that 's a kind of iconic image now um, it it it's very symbolic and a lot about this has become um much more about propaganda and who can kind of put forward the the most the best narrative like even if you look at media I was discussing this today. Um, for example, if, if a publication publishes something about Gaza, they'll put an image of a child dying. Right. And if, and and buildings that have been broken, but if they publish a story about Israel, it's always like a soldier or a bulldozer or, 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 or some kind of a tank. And I think these things tell, we a narrative that's not, you know, it's, in a way it's censoring the truth because it's only presenting it's presenting emotional kind of manipulation. And I think it's important for people to look, have the opinion you're going to have, but do it based on actual true facts, not based on just emotional manipulation.
0: Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think that's called an emotional truth. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> emotional truth. <laughs> one
0: one thing that I, I did notice, some people have pointed this out, is um and this is a thing um that we noticed during um I know a lot of people have noticed this um in the um what happened to the Yazidis. Uh they quite clearly know which children will be photogenic to Western audiences. They're clearly picking out the ones with lighter eye colors. Yeah. And I think People know that that means, oh, I mean, I'm just going to say it like, you know, they're not black African children starving because, like, people do not care.
1: Yeah, they don't because how much in these stories, like, there's so many wars going on. Well, well I well,
0: well, 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 <laughs> well, look, like, million, millions of people are on the run in Sudan right now. No. Um, and, like, literally, I never see it on my timeline except for Matt Iglesias occasionally is just like, maybe I should retweet this. Cause Weird too like, –
1: because this is so framed as like, uh, you know, the white Israelis uh, versus the, you know, the Arabs, but yet they still pick, or the P- Palestinians, but they still will pick the kids that are going to appeal to the Western audience, as you say, which yeah. is, uh, And I, but, I mean, and- I'm not,
0: I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the only one that's noticed that, right? I mean, it's oh, like. No. <laughs> Like, ha- like I- there's no way half of palestinian kids have hazel or blue eyes
1: no and they're always like such beautiful children <laughs> which which is also like, like angels like little little
0: angels being killed by jews so- sorry sorry just-
1: i mean i'm sorry there's like there is ugly kids everywhere right like like kids are not at all in here i'm gonna get into so much trouble
0: <laughs> well i mean look i mean considering the conditions that they're in they're awfully cleaned up too
1: yeah exactly um No, I think that's a big deal. I think also with Israel, I imagine, um, I'll, 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 I'll be devil's advocate here because I'll say, um, the spokespeople that they tend to put forward do tend to also be Western looking. I think that's also part of why the impression is that, you know, everyone in the IDF, for example, is white. But if you actually look in videos of the IDF, it's like black, uh, you know, brown, white, or a- yeah. very Arab kind of looking. If you go to Israel, it's like, honestly, yeah. I remember coming back because as a child, Growing up there, I honestly, I never really thought in terms of race. I never even understood what being Jewish was. So I didn't really think about things in those terms back then. But now, living in um, areas that are, you know, we have, I have a lot of Asian people around me. I don't have a lot of Black people around me. And when I go, when I went to Israel, I remember being kind of really struck by the incredible diversity of just shades, right? (laughs) Of, you know, some of them are Jewish, some of them might not be, but like, it was like every category.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let me let, let, let's let's reiterate this just quantitatively, because a lot of people don't uh don't I mean people don't I mean, unless you're Jewish or have gone on birth, there are people who go on birthright who aren't Jewish, but you know, so I'm not gonna say just Jewish people. Uh but you know, if you haven't been to Israel or met Israelis, you, you might get um a, a weird impression or a misimpression. So like, Israel, like as as Catherine said, you know, like about like 30%, maybe Ashkenazi and then of the remainder, twenty percent is Arab. And then of like, let's say the balance of the fifty percent, it's a mix of Sephardic Jews from say Morocco or you know Turkey, Syria, Mizrahi Jews from Iraq, you know Persian Jews who are also classified as Mizrahi, but they're very into being Persian. Um, Yemeni Jews that are kind of a different thing. And then you have the Beta Israel that are two percent of Israel's population. They're Ethiopian, and so and Betulian also, yeah. Yeah, and so if you, yeah the Bedouins, uh, so if you see a black person in Israel, it's I mean, oh yeah, like I, mean, I can usually tell East African versus non East African. You could tell that they're Jewish, better Israel. There's also uh, a uh, Indian Jewish community there. Uh, so Israel is actually the irony, or not the irony. I don't know how you want to say it. Is actually one of the most ethnically diverse countries in the world, but it's unified, obviously, with eighty percent of the population. Under this broader Jewish rubric of identity and nationhood, but underneath it, there's a lot of diversity now some of it some of it is changing insofar as like the Sabras like a lot of people um you know are half like you know like islet Sheked is half half Mizrahi half you know Ashkenazi there's a lot of people that are mixed it's not as big of a deal anymore once you stop having grandparents that were from the old country you know you, basically just it, israeli if like connections to the rest of the world uh don't matter and you know you talked about the nakba uh well obviously in the 50s uh, you know all the iraqi jews left you know most of the moroccan jews left although that was more of a gradual affair the moroccan monarchy was actually pretty protective but in egypt Not the yemeni jews just <laughs> yeah yeah and the, the yemeni jews were very um were, they were also you know expelled so these are people i mean some people call them Arab Jews. They don't consider themselves Arab because whatever, but they used to speak Arabic. Uh, and it was a pretty traumatic event for them. And these are often the people, aside from the Russian Jews.